0: Oh, man, it's finally over.
1: Oh, my God, you sound excited. I just feel weirded out and gross, and I need to go take a shower.
0: Yeah, a scalding one with acid, like in House on Haunted Hill.
1: (gasps) Oh. Attention, audience, please heed this cautionary, scary advisory. Beware this stark broadcast on the dark affair of Drisking's past. Never air what you hear here. Or your former fear will reappear.
0: Welcome, audience, you stark, shady ladies and dark, bent gents, to this chilling, fulfilling horror excursion edition of Chemohawk Sessions. Darker Mile Marker, an ungory but unsettling episodic dissection of Q Code Media's best, time killing, fear instilling, wine swilling. Cheers, spine-thrilling, blood-chilling podcast, Baraska, which aired May 25th, 2020. Welcome to your ninth scary auditory advisory under the threatening triple-priced tree with this ChemoHawk Sessions Spine-Tingling, Nerve-Jingling special.
1: Darker Mile Marker, Mile Marker 9. On this episode's road, the worth of childbirth.
0: That is a fan fucking tastic title, if I do say so myself. I'll agree, and I do. Today we inspect, dissect, and reflect on the season finale of Borasca.
1: Yay! Oh, sorry, Borasca, the place where bad things happen, part two.
0: Kimber is drugged, not dead, as she was abducted and mugged by corrupt thugs. But in lieu of dead, she's been methodically, episodically terrorized, attacked on a rack instead. We learn the life-death stakes in the usage and or misusage of proper grammar, and the placement of letters as a rusted, dilapidated mind sign may not be the best tablet for safekeeping the lasting integrity of a message. We're educated on the misdirection that skinned men are neither men nor skinned. And we listen to a letter so poignant and deep, it confirms Kimber's mom was more accomplished in writing than flying. Oh,
1: good one. That was
0: fucked up. hmm Kimber must have splinters in her dainty, Fair skinned knuckles from rapping on Sam's door with such tenacious frequency.
1: I knew it was
0: Kimber. But you must remember, Driskin is not a normal town. Kimber has unusually thick fucking skin. Jimmy Prescott's voice is as disturbing and oily when he orders a parmesan rye sandwich off the menu as when he casually speaks to the revolting. Breeding farm, he has meticulously managed, but Kimber is not a usual dame.
1: Jimmy is not a cliché villain, and the circumstances are far, far from F-Star's conventional.
0: We discuss the futility of trying to tackle a villainous armed running back with Wendigo-like speed and strength when you're outgunned and outstunned. We explore a concluding segment that has been teased choreographed and dangled before our perceptive peepers, but still maintains its shocking, sensical climax that will keep us talking, and we read a letter, as sad as it is, narratively satisfying.
1: Neither plot, thread, nor implied dread is missed, omitted, or otherwise ignored while this final darker mile marker is, by us,
0: explored. Ushering you through the fucked up breeding grounds of local missing ladies, where Sam fights with grit and might to disarm the parasite, Jimmy Prescott, and save the sister fucking day, your faux ghost host, Falsetto Prophet, and bashed in Kyle's head till he bleeds red.
1: Co-host Red Devil. Let's dig into the final mile marker of Drisking's dark past with this darker mile marker broadcast.
0: Warned, Warned you were. were! Now let me tell you, audience, we took a risk letting Othello into our recording chambers. But as soon as he jumped off of Red Devil's lap, he found himself comfortable on the pre blanket on the knee ends of the recliner.
1: Othello loves podcasting. Anytime that we're coming in here... Or if you're coming in here solo falsetto, he either meows at the door until you let him in, or he runs in before you can even close the door.
0: Happy New Year, audience.
1: Happy New Year! As
0: today is New Year's Day, and that affords Red Devil the unique opportunity to have free time to unwind the daily grind with this Darker Mile Marker broadcast. As it is the ninth episode, the final episode... Revel in the fact that Baraska may very well be the ninth gate granting the damned entry into fucking hell. Today, we will be snacking on
1: and sipping
0: our last apothec shard bottle that we acquired to spruce up our fridge with seasonal libations. The bottle's admonishment reads, a dramatic Chardonnay. It's a bittersweet conclusion to a riveting goosebump conjuring story and we intend to celebrate Baraska in all of its unearthed mind out glory also we will be eating canned soup specifically BB-8 Star Wars SpaghettiOs as though we purloined it straight from the breeding grounds apocalyptic stockpile of non-perishables
1: Chardonnay comboed with Spaghettios, what could go wrong here?
0: That is a white trash Christmas if I've <laughs> ever heard it. Episode nine of Barrasca is called The Place Where Bad Things Happen, Part Two.
1: Official episode summary from Wikipedia slash Spotify Audible Summary Jacket. The stunning conclusion in the season finale. Trigger warning. Please be advised. This episode contains scenes of sexual assault and graphic violence. And man, they were not kidding.
0: That was simply all that was stated on the Spotify Audible jacket. So I will now read to you the official summary from Wikipedia, which goes into some tangible detail that you can grab. Sam and Kyle discover the horrifying truth about Baroska and the shiny gentleman. Cheers. We love the shiny gentleman. Inside Baraska, the two find Kimber and begin to make their exit, promising to come back and save the other victims. On the way out, Sam sees Whitney and tells Kyle to leave without him. Well, holy shitballs, Wikipedia goes into a whole lot more goddamn detail. Woo, woo. Okay, that's all I'm going to tell you, actually. That's enough. We start. You see anything? A sign? What does it say? So you have Kyle and you have Sam in the woods desperately trying to find Barasca so that they can find answers on Whitney, on Kimber, on a dozen other people that have gone missing over the last several decades. They find a sign with letters rotting off, and it says, Driskin Underground Mine. However, with the various letters that have become dilapidated, it reads only skinned men, like M-I-N, and skinned isn't even spelled properly. Because you take the S-K-I-N from Driskin, and then you take the Min from Mine. Underground is completely gone, and then the E from Mine is missing. So that leaves Skin Men. Now, I will tell you that it was very inadvertent, but I have started a horror short story called The Basement Party about two months ago. And I've just released episode four. In The Basement Party, it has been called The Basement Party... From the very beginning, but only recently do you learn that the basement party is part of something called Dark Basement Photography. So very similar, yet different. That was just a little, as Wambamacane would say, shameless plug. They find cars parked behind the building, and they see a police cruiser. They see cops. Fucking cops. We
1: always knew they were dirty, especially those freaking deputies.
0: Apparently, it's not protect and serve. It's like resurrect and swerve or something. They see one of the new deputies. They hear what sounds like Ramirez. Ramirez and this other deputy are carrying a dead fucking body or a DFB. It is not Kimber because they identify that the corpse's hair does not match Kimber's hair, so it cannot be Kimber. They say, welcome to your date, blondie. Your prince awaits. Now, the way in which they say that. And how they say it and the words that are used is fucking unsettling. The shiny gentleman will take care of you. They know now that it is Ramirez for sure. Sam and Kyle, that is. They hear a ringing in their ears, so we hear a ringing in our ears.
1: Huge loud sound.
0: Very good sound effects. Especially now because we have heard the shiny gentleman from a distance, but now that we're hearing it up close as they are hearing it, it sounds really good. We officially identify the shiny gentleman as a machine that grinds ore, or it's some type of a smelter. It is very loud. They say that the bones are the hard part for this machine to digest. They just leave the powder of the human remains there. And then after it builds up to a thick extent, they just blow it down the mountain. So for years, people have getting gnawed and mashed up by this shiny gentleman machine that breaks down iron ore, and they just blow, I guess, with industrial blowers i don't know down the fucking mountain crazy there's a shit ton of buildings in this clearing women are kept in the buildings victims and you never get a clear identifiable count but it sounds like it's like
1: like a whole t- room 12, 18 women yeah or something. yeah definitely
0: and they're all in various stages of whimpering
1: very disturbing yes
0: you hear wailing you hear crying you hear screaming i get the impression that they're all in different stages of pregnancy some are probably four or five months along some are much closer i believe
1: And I just want to add that it's very interesting. I liked how they went about this scene because you can really tell, even though you're not watching this, you're just listening to it, you can really pick up on Sam and Kyle slowly trying to make sense of what they're walking into, what they're now witnessing.
0: Now they find a stockpile of water, food, and medical supplies It's what Kyle calls a doomsday prepper's wet dream, or I think Sam says that. That's why we're eating SpaghettiOs, because we're always trying to consume food that is consistent with the tone of the episode. SpaghettiOs are probably there as well. I doubt they're Star Wars SpaghettiOs, but hey.
1: But SpaghettiOs definitely would be surviving the apocalypse.
0: They are searching for Kimber. That's their primary mission because she's only recently gone missing. Jimmy Prescott... We learn. We've come to finally see the truth that not only was he strange, odd, and uncanny before, he's a full-blown rapist. And JP, instead of Jimmy Prescott, might as well stand for jeering, jittery pedophile. He says Sam can stay, but that Kyle has got to go. Now, this is interesting. I don't know why he isolates Sam. Part of me thinks it's because Sam is the son of the sheriff. Yeah,
1: that's what I was going
0: to say. We've also been kind of clued in previously that the only reason Sam is alive is because his dad is the sheriff and has a little bit of clout. Kyle is elsewhere, searching the other side of the building. You hear, please fucking help us. Now, Kimber is, in fact, there. She is present and accounted for, and she is drugged. There are belts on her wrists and ankles, what I consider makeshift shackles. Kyle, remember, suffered a rib injury in a recent episode, but he is not letting that slow him down. Kyle takes off. With Kimber. With Kimber. He rescued Kimber somehow, and they are making slow, but they're making progress away from this campsite. And then someone says that dying up here would be a real pussy move. Then you hear knock, knock, here I come. And then I added, I smell the blood of a Missourian. <laughs> Kyle takes Kimber away, as Red Devil just educated you on the fact of and sam gives him keys to take the vehicle sam has to stay though because remember the assembly without whitney episode that we provided episode two whitney is still a hanging gerund she is still out there and she is still unaccounted for sam finds wit and he's asking her in her drug stupor you know what did they do to you hey it's sam you know your shitty brother and then he asks jimmy prescott what did you do to her And then things get weird. Jimmy Prescott, who sounds the same as he always has, like his pulse rate is slow, his blood pressure is low. You would have to ask her handler. Okay, that's weird. And then he calls what they're doing the family business. Now, what does family business make you think of, Red Devil?
1: Supernatural and my favorite, Jensen Ackles.
0: Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki from Supernatural, they refer to it as saving people, hunting things, the family business. And so family business would go on to actually mean a literal family business and that Jared Padalecki bought for Jensen Ackles a lot of land in Dripping Springs, Texas, which is very close to Austin. And they have this plot of land where they have a brewery for beer. And we've actually been to family business. And while we were at family business for crawfish day, it was a lot of people. It was a huge turnout. It was a long line. But after waiting in line for about an hour and 45 minutes. We're getting very close to collecting our pot of crawfish. And guess who we see? We see Jensen Ackles in the flesh, not 40 feet away, leaning up against the barn building, talking to his brother-in-law, which is his wife's sister, Danielle.
1: Danielle,
0: yeah. I was very tempted to make a scene because at some point he looked up in our direction and I really wanted to wave or do jumping jacks or just throw something at him. But I- Throw
1: something at him. I failed
0: to participate in any of those. Family business. So, Jimmy Prescott considers a breeding farm a family business. Gross. Now, Whitney is in poor health, and this is about the level of empathy you can get from Jimmy Prescott when he says, well, she birthed shit babies, so this is her last run. Now, she has been there a while, as you know, because Whitney has been missing for a long time, and this is where she has been. Now, Cleary is out looking for Kyle. Cleary is remaining in contact with Jimmy Prescott via some sort of walkie-talkie or like that cell phone where they can also be used as a walkie-talkie. Now, because sound travels in these parts, this is where you get some illumination. These bad hombres always knew where Sam and Kyle andy were in the woods. They knew when they were coming a mile away. That's creepy. And then he says, I know you wanted them to get away, but there is no sense in false hope. No one gets out except through the shiny gentleman. She will be coming back to the stables. So basically, Jimmy Prescott is saying Whitney has an appointment with a shiny gentleman. And then he says, the woods are full. So none of the runners that have tried to escape have ever made it down the mountain. So if you go back several episodes towards the very beginning of Baraska, there's an episode called The Woods Are Full. This is what was meant by that, that Jimmy Prescott always had goons in the woods riding on ATVs and they were making sure that nobody got away. Jimmy Prescott is proud of his family business. And this is fucked up too. He says, they don't sell pussy, they sell babies. How much money, we wonder, is in this industry? Loads of money. You were thinking for eight long episodes, there's something bad happening. You don't know what, you don't know how, but this episode delivers. Because this episode is as bad as you could have possibly imagined it was.
1: Well, and and worse. worse. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to say, because this is like something that could really happen in reality.
0: And you learn more about that when we get to this letter that we will read for you, because we love you, Pawdience, for remaining true and loyal fans. Jimmy Prescott's daddy was a smart man. He was dirt poor like everyone else. Out-of-work miners. but Tom Prescott was smarter than everybody else. He needed money, you see, Pawdience, to fight the city on the McCaskey case. Now, the McCaskey case was when there was a cave-in And people were trapped, and that cost a lot of money to do the search. People are still worth money, he says. So Tom Prescott sold Jimmy Prescott's older brother to some rich couple for $5,000, which was probably a lot when this took place. Some were willing to pay five figures for a newborn baby. He does not even need a gun to secure obedience. But make no mistake, Jimmy Prescott does have a gat in his possession. A Desert Eagle, actually, which is a crazy gun. And he says that no silencer is needed on this mountain. Now, from a business point of view, they use the stables for town services, he calls them. Infertility of the town was a stroke of luck on Tom Prescott's part. It's kind of like when you have the criminal element committing a crime. I learned this in criminal theory class that it's a perfect triangle. So to commit a crime, you have to have a motivated offender. You have to have a lack of capable guardian. And you have to have something desirable that the motivated offender wants to steal. So it sounds like kind of a perfect storm of affairs. Sam asks for Jimmy Prescott to just kill him. And then Jimmy Prescott laughs with his creepy clown laugh. He says he's not allowed to kill Sam. And he says that Whitney is carrying what he calls a community service baby. That's fucked up.
1: Yeah, that's really weird. And I think Sam, if I remember right, Sam is basically trying to sacrifice himself to... Try to get Jimmy Prescott to let Whitney go.
0: Jimmy Prescott then gets a call. It's from former Sheriff Cleary. He was able to collect Kyle, but he could not find Kimber. Also, they proceed to beat on Landy. This is Jimmy Prescott while the other guys hold him down. Landy might have been able to get to Cleary, but he had the rib injuries. Short of him getting the drop on Cleary, which he almost did, his prior injury, damage to the ribs that he sustained, when he was trying to fuck up that Baroska party, precluded him from accomplishing that. I guess it's going to be a closed casket then, says Jimmy Prescott. I thought Kyle was killed. Yeah. I I thought he was brutally slaughtered because you get the impression through the sound effects that JP had just beaten him, pistol whipping him to like mush. Yeah,
1: beat him to death.
0: And then Jimmy Prescott wants a cigarette. He wants a Peter Jennings. That's what I call him. Now the town squashes investigations when they appear. That's why they've been able to skirt by so long and remain unmolested.
1: And that is so messed up, let's just say. All these people, granted, if they were infertile, obviously their motivations probably were to get children of their own. The fact that nobody came forward is just astonishing.
0: Jamie Prescott says that Kyle Landy is headed to the shiny gentleman. Cheers.
1: I'm break those.
0: Sam will not leave without his sister. But they already sold that baby. Yeah, Sam, you are going to leave, says JP. Cleary even offers Sam his truck. He says, remember, kid, the woods are full. They are always full. They describe it as basically Kyle's head is like a ball on a string. Wow. Fucked up. Now, Kyle, please give me a sign that you are not dead. Sam is driving Kyle back to the hospital, and he's desperately trying to reach out to Kyle to see if he's still alive. This is when we learned that all the cops were using ATVs to collect people that were trying to run away. Now, there was mention of ATVs in the very first episode. So this is not a do ex machina. This is something that has been laid out beautifully. Once Sam takes Kyle to the hospital, then they will try to search for Kimber. And then they say they'll all move to Canada. Ah, Canada. Remember that movie Argo, directed by Ben Affleck? Yep. They were pretending to be Canadians because that is always a safe call. But Sam runs into the hospital, and he claims that Jimmy Prescott beat the shit out of Kyle Landy. He's told to go call his dad. That's what the nurse tells him to do. For whatever reason, he's desperately trying to get an update just on how Kyle is doing. But this nurse says, I cannot release any information to you. That's pretty bad. Sam will have to talk with Kyle's mom about it if he wants to know the condition. They won't even tell Sam if Kyle is fucking alive or not. It's fucked up. This HIPAA stuff is real. It's the real deal. Oh, yeah. Now, Driskin may not even have six businesses operational, but they will follow HIPAA. It's crazy. Kyle's mom is blaming Sam because as far as Kyle's mom and the hospital and everyone else is concerned, including Sam's dad, they all think that Sam beat the shit out of Kyle within an inch of his life because of a spat that they had. Sam's dad subsequently arrives. Mrs. Landy, Kyle's mom, thinks, of course, that it was Sam who beat the shit out of Kyle. Sam is pleading with his father. He tells his dad everything. He's like, look. We got women that are being raped up in this mountain, and we need to go save them. This is where all the missing people go, Dad. Sam, of course, is still swearing at his dad. I think since, like, episode three, he's been saying fuck you to his dad, like, every passing episode. And now they're both dropping F grenades, which is funny.
1: And we're starting to see the true colors of Graham, if you ask me.
0: He says that they make noises intentionally to scare people away on the mountain. So this is very strategic. The whole reason that you'd hear the shiny gentleman, you'd hear all these creepy sounds... That was the cop's way of keeping people away. Graham tries to reason with his son. He's like, look, if Kyle dies or if his parents sue, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do for you, Sam. Sam says he does not give a fuck about prison. Now, Cleary's truck is green. And interestingly, it was not at the hospital after this is all addressed, which means that someone must have moved it. Now, once Sam tells his dad that Whitney was at this place on the mountain, Graham tells his son to get the fuck out of his car at gunpoint. He's oh, pointing, he's yeah, pointing yeah, the yeah. gun at Sam. He's yep. like, Sam, now, to be fair, Sam's pushing him pretty fucking hard. But Graham's like, Sam, you have been shit talking my daughter. You're just a menace. You need to get out of the car. If you remember, audience, Sam saw this dollhouse that belonged to Kimber out in the woods. Did you always know, dad? That's when Graham points his gun at Sam. And he says very calmly, <laughs> your delusions have made you insane. I don't care if you go to prison. You spread filth about Whitney. You are not my son. Now, get the fuck out of the car.
1: Crazy. That reminds
0: me of an exchange or two that I think I've had with my father Ooh. over the years.
1: Well, he didn't have a gun.
0: <laughs> Rubber band gun, maybe. Kyle was right about you, father. Damn, that was cold. Colder than a penguin's gonads, I say. Now we're back in Leah's office. And you know what that means? Take fucking talk. It is almost 9 p.m. If you remember, Sam had a standing appointment with her at 6 p.m. It has been three hours, so from 6 to 9. What happens next, she asks. We want to know, too, of course. We're dying to know. Sam says, what home? No, I did not go home. He says he stayed in a hotel on the edge of town and slept behind the hotel. But he said it was summer, so it was okay. I'm like, what the shit? That's when all the cockroaches come out. Uh. He could not sofa surf as he had been labeled a violent thug and nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. He also could not leave town as he was waiting to see what would befall the condition of his friend Kyle. Now, Kyle made it out of the hospital, but he is basically at home in a vegetative state. So Kyle's fucked up in the head.
1: Sam ends up going actually to visit him, we learned too, right?
0: Well, he tries Parker's there. <laughs> But by this point, Parker's so damn afraid of Sam because every interaction that Parker's had with Sam has basically been Sam threatening to kill him. And it's funny because Sam calls him a little shit. But Sam is guilty of putting the people he loves in danger. He recognizes this. Two weeks later, on a side note, Mira and Owen have their baby.
1: Mm, How convenient.
0: Now, as you recall, Mira is the former manager of Sam with the sandwich shop and Owen is her husband. And they had a big tiff over well, you can't get pregnant, Mira. What the shit? But wait a second now, Red Devil. I thought Mira was four months pregnant.
1: Apparently not.
0: Nope. Apparently nobody is prego in Baraska on account of this recurring infertility. They got their baby. Whitney met the shiny gentleman. So if this is correct, that means Whitney is dead and fucking gone.
1: And blown down the mountain.
0: Now the Barasca party, as Sam says to Leah... Was so loud last night, Sam could hear it from his hotel on the outskirts of town. It's a local police department in Butler County, Leah brings to his attention, was running a trafficking operation.
1: She's at a loss for words. She's just like not understanding.
0: Yeah. Sam called the FBI over a period of time. He called the state police. He even called fucking senators, Ask all of them to check out this mountain business, and nothing happened. Well, what happened to Kimber? We really want to know. Sam received a letter from California six years ago, and he desperately wonders, how did she find his address? Who all knows? Now I'm going to read to you because it's just oh so important, this letter that Kimber's mom wrote to Kimber. It's a letter that has been alluded to like a MacGuffin in a thriller movie. As far as you know, as the audience, as we knew, the letter may not have even existed. It might have just been a figment of somebody's rapid, vapid imagination. The letter reads, Dear Kimber, this is where Sam reads this letter verbatim to Leah, and it is one of those drop the mic moments. But Dear Kimber, I don't know how to start this letter to you. The last one I will ever write. Dear Kimber seems so formal. Doesn't represent the depth of my love for you. Read this and leave Drisking. I'm going to tell you something awful, and I know you aren't going to understand why we did the things we did. It was born out of love. At least that's what we told ourselves. As you read this letter, please remember that you will always be my daughter. I'm leaving this world because of what I've done to you, not because of what you are. I don't want you to be ashamed of what you are, because who you are is beautiful. We've done horrible things, and some of us live with the guilt better than others. You need to know it all, so I will start from the beginning. With emotion!
1: Decades ago, the women in Drisking started to become infertile. We were told it was because of all the iron ore in the water table. Iron causes infertility, yes, but it was something more, some enzyme they discovered in our blood that was stopping ovulation. Maybe it came from the water table, or maybe it was just God's way of telling Drisking to die. But the devil always finds a way to live. People looked to religion as they always do but the Prescotts solved the problem. It was an ugly solution, but most people were happy to look the other way when they had babies again, families of their own. They were taking fertile girls up the mountain, mostly women from other places, but some of them were ours. The ones whose blood they tested, the ones who didn't have the enzyme. They did something vile on the mountain. They impregnated the girls and they gave us their babies who were they back then? I don't know entirely. Today, it's the men of the Prescott family and Killian Cleary, and any other man willing to pay enough money, if the rumors are true. In town, we looked away. There were babies in carriages again. There was life. Businesses were reopening. Tom Prescott owned everything, and the economy was good, so no one objected, when he started to sell some of the babies on the side to rich, childless couples from other places. They'd have good homes, after all. But then something else was whispered in drisking. They were selling to human traffickers, to governments. It was a vile thing to think about. The Prescotts had to offer triple the price for girls, and sales were done in secret. But everyone knew where you'd meet them back then. An old tree house in the woods. The triple tree for triple the price.
0: Triple the price, triple sec, triple sec under the triple tree. So many things make sense now.
1: You kids play there now. In town we became depraved. The coal of the money, the power. Teenage boys sold their girlfriends, fathers sold their daughters. No woman was safe. It was madness. Those who objected were sent up the mountain to meet the shiny gentlemen. Men and women alike.
0: And the rest of us said nothing and today it all remains the true economy of Drisking, Missouri. Their parents, even today, who will sell their daughters back to the mountain if their blood is pure. A monstrous thing to do. All their weights their children is torture and death. If they become too sick or too old to deliver profitable children, they're slaughtered like animals. The shiny gentleman, cheers. The machine on the mountain, it crushes their bodies and the blood and skin are stripped away till all that remains of them are their stolen children, and the dust of their bones. It's spread over the mountain to hide our crimes. Not everyone knows it, but I know it, and here is what you might have guessed. You are one of these stolen children, but that is not the hardest thing I have to tell you.
1: The hardest part is your name. The children of these unions are named after their fathers, to keep from interbreeding. Think of all your friends, all the people you know in town. If their name begins with the letter P, they were born of the Prescott line. If their names begin with K, they are Killian Cleary's children. Parker. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that until Kyle. right now. Yep. Ooh.
0: I wonder. I wonder.
1: And they're both redheads, Kyle and Kimber.
0: There's something Killian there. Killian Cleary. something
1: there. Ooh. And you, my little love, are Kimber. Maybe that's why the mom hated him so much because she knew that they had the same father. You must never tell them what you know. They are dangerous men. You realize now why I am telling you this. You must leave here, never return, and never say a word about what you know. Baroska has deep roots, decades of profitability and lofty connections. So don't stay. Don't keep this letter. Don't ever return. We all have to answer for our sins, and I'm ready to burn in hell for mine. Love, Mom.
0: Like I said, she was a much better writer than she was a flyer. Now the reason that we took the time to read this lengthy ass manifesto for you, audience is because it's worth it. It's because virtually every conceivable question is answered in this correspondence. So it is worth it!
1: Can I just say, Graham... Remember in the first episode when they first moved to Missouri? Cheeseburgers. We were asking the question, how can they afford this house on a share of salary? Well, then Whitney goes missing. So, I mean, my connections, also how he reacted to Sam. To me, Graham knew what he was bringing his family into from the very beginning.
0: You also never liked Graham from the very beginning. Well,
1: I could see right through him.
0: I'm not sure. I'm hoping that as we embark upon the second season... We will learn more and that old enemies will be new friends. I have a feeling that Graham knows some things. I have a feeling we're determined that he's not the mustache twirling psychopath that you make him out to be. But we'll see. Now, this is huge. Leah is sufficiently stunned. She says that we need to get things moving. She asks if she can keep the letter. Sam says you can have it. She will not let it lie. She promises. She promises. Now, Sam trusts her. He says he trusts her. She says that he should trust her and that she believes him. She claims she has a friend in the sex crimes division. She actually drops the girl's name, Victoria Edelstein. Leah says that she is on this. So she is on it. So we are no longer worried about this situation. Leah (laughs) is going to save the fucking day.
1: Yeah, Sam couldn't get the feds to come in, but Leah is going to do it.
0: Sam arrives home. Traditionally, this is how we end an episode. He talks to Leah. There's a clock. And then he goes home and talks with Eric. You're home late again. Well, the session went long, says Sam. He asks if Tara came by. No, she did not come by, says Eric. Sam needs more H, because unless you've forgotten, Sam is a heroin addict. He asks if he needs any weed. They talk about weed. And then again, Eric says this is Chicago. Sam still doesn't know what the fuck that means. Eric has a hacking job. But then he says that no one calls it a hacking job, douche. They don't call it (laughs) hacking anymore. I don't know what they call it. Cybercrime. They're probably like twilling or something. There's probably some new term for hacking. Who has been coming by to look for Sam, we wonder?
1: Question marks.
0: Because we now learn, based on a phone conversation that Sam has with burnout, it is not Tara. How do we know it's not Tara? Because Tara's ass is in motherfucking jail. Burnout confirms this. Sam still does not believe him, but he's like, look, I just visited her in jail, which means that Eric has been wrong. Sam has been misled. Tara is jailbait.
1: Well, Eric tried to tell him, but Sam wasn't listening.
0: Well, I just thought that Eric was under the impression that it was Tara because they would talk about how hot she was. And then Eric was like, Sam, why are you not hooking up with Tara? She's so gorgeous. And then Sam's like, well, that's Burnout's girl. It was a little bit of, I think, intelligent misdirection on behalf of the author. That's what I think. But who has been coming by? There's a knock on the door.
1: And I get vindication! Not yet. Oh.
0: Sam is very slow to open that door. In fact, he like walks over to the door, and then Eric's like, you gonna get that, you son of a bitch? He finally opens the door. Hey there, says Eric. You gonna tell me what your name is? Sweetie Plumpkins, or whatever? Well, my name is Kimber. And I need to borrow your friend.
1: Oh, it. Oh, you,
0: you knew it was Kimber the whole time, did you?
1: Well, I suspected it was Kimber the whole time. Let's just call it like redheaded. Intuition. Intuition. We have.
0: How about redheaded superstition? How about that? Sure. Episode ends. What a breathtaking fucking season. I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah, I need to take a nap.
0: Now, audience, for the next season, we are exceedingly, excruciatingly excited. To return to Driskin, the town that feeds playgrounds, get it, because of kids? Yeah, the babies. That leads women in white gowns, and their farm that breeds, bleeds until shutdown. For season two, we'll incorporate our own testimonies of what life looked like as kids, Sam, Kimber, and Kyle's age, and how, once older, once some youthful innocence is sacrificed, tried, and tested how your lens is adjusted and rearranged if you're as excited as we are then stick around for the next darker mile marker is not far
1: we did not meet nor greet the shiny gentleman but we learned that he is far far from a man but a machina a cold heartless killer of men women and unborn children
0: Soon you will learn more gruesome answers to questions asked, if you can outlast the violence vast. The dried blood dye is cast in Driskin's blood-soaked past. In this town, a righteous sheriff was sorely miscast. Dig up with us the dark mine aghast, and sip blood-red wine in a blood-soaked cask. Through our Barasca broadcast. Hang on, or from, the Triple Price Tree.
1: Soon, you'll discover the second season of Barasca with Falsetto and me.
0: Warned Warned you you were. were! Falsetto and
1: Red Devil
0: out.